0: I'm going to read from the ESV. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to start with verse 21, conclude with verse 28, and then we'll read the first 10 verses of the 13th chapter. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? you shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now, chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on the day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Denny. We give thanks for you, and Becky, a joy to serve with you, brother. And we find ourselves at the climax of this wonderful narrative of Exodus, of God redeeming a people for himself, that really all the Bible's about that, in the midst of human rebellion, God calling out a people who acknowledge him as Lord and God. Now, if you remember last week, we looked at this, the 10th the, the judgment, and it's quite harsh to the modern uh, eye, isn't it? I mean, uh, God bringing judgment on the firstborn of all the Egyptians, but what I, I hope we saw last week, that in these events, we see the two great longings of the human heart really converge in in the God of the Bible. On the one hand, we all deep down long for for a reckoning, that all the people who've hurt us, uh, all the people that have done such damage, we look out at the world and it's so very tragic, and, and we long for it in a visceral kind of sense, I wish there was somebody who would make everything right who would put all, you know, right all the wrongs and, and really bring in uh, a kind of um, a kingdom, if you will, where, where things are put right. And we long for that. You say, you don't believe me. All you have to do, right, just watch the news for one day. And you hear the cries of the people, right? Not uh, people who believe in God, but many cries these days for justice. But once we go there, something happens to us, if we're honest. We say, if I really want universal justice and a just judge then I'm subject to that judgment too. And I think about my own life and I say, well, actually, I am probably part of the problem that I haven't always gotten it right. And that's where the second great longing of the human heart comes in, that if only that, that person who could make things right would be also merciful and gracious. And you'll see that woven throughout the Bible, right? That God is just, he's the one figure in the cosmos who can answer our inward call for a real reckoning, Uh, He's the one who's outside of our system, who says, I've made you, you're my creatures, my will will be done, that I'm perfect, I can execute judgment. And that's what he does against the godless Egyptians, the prideful, enslaving, cruel Egyptians. But in the same way, the same narrative, God provides for his people for a way out. He says there's a sacrificial substitute. When you sacrifice a lamb, and you sprinkle the blood over your home, you can rest behind and under the blood of the Lamb and be spared. So you can, you can see that, I hope, right? You, you read this and a lot of people say, well, that's exactly what I don't like about the faith, this kind of angry, genocidal God, and yet we just take a step back and say, no, this makes perfect sense. We get the just judge and the reckoning, but the kindness and mercy of God, the grace of God, to provide in His way a way for the called out people of God, those who are his, those who surrender to him to be safe and at one with him. Now, we've asked for several weeks now, why is this so dramatic? I mean, there's been quite a buildup. I don't know how many weeks actually we've been in Exodus, but you say we've gotten to the 10th judgment. Now, why is God doing this? I mean, frogs and gnats and flies and boils. I mean, it's all a bit much. And I, I, I think, I mean, God's saying something like this. The people, you people, my creatures are so s- simple And you're so easily distracted that I've made this so dramatic so you know that I'm real. You know that I'm the Lord, that I am uh, the Lord of all creation, that I'll do what I want with my creation, that I'm serious about being there for my people. And so we have this dramatic... Uh, story of the the liberation of God's people, the deliverance not only from the physical bondage of Egypt, but from our own sin and uh, our own weakness. And that's where we find ourselves uh, in the midst of this 10th judgment and God's people being called out in a graphic way to say, God is real, these are my people, and this is what you live. Now today, what's today about? That these events, God rescuing his people when it was very clear they could not rescue themselves, Uh, Israel could not liberate itself, it needed the outside hand of God, and today what we want to focus in is how this, uh, God's gracious undertaking for his people, demands a response from us. And this is, I think, at one level quite obvious. We did it this week on Veterans Day. When people do so much for you, and by their sacrifice and their action that they give you a quality of life that you couldn't have achieved on your own, the natural posture in that way is to uh, remember them and to give thanks, exactly as we did on Veterans Day. Now, if that's the case in human affairs, how much more is that the case in cosmic affairs? That there's a God who's paid a great price to redeem his people, who's provided for us while never Uh, compromising on his justice. The appropriate response from the people of God is to acknowledge that with thanksgiving and to remember. And that's where we'll harbor a few uh, moments here this morning. So three main themes. Firstly, the the major response, as we'll see to these events, God wants his people to remember their salvation. You say, even if you're not a particularly good reader and you read this, it's going to pop out in a way that's Uh, right there for you, how many times this notion of memory and remembering the events of the 10th plague and the deliverance of God's people. So how about twelve fourteen? This day shall be a memorial day for you. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. 13, 3, right? That this is going to be uh, a memorial for you. How about uh, 13, 9? The same kind of language, that this is going to be a memorial for you. Twelve twenty five. keep this service. 13, 5, keep this service. And more and more, in other words, if you get nothing else this morning, you say, I've heard from uh, the, exciting ministry in africa and now i know i can zone out during this part please don't before you get this god wants his people those who are his to remember that they're the people who have been bought back by god that that's very important that's a normal response for us now here's the tension you say here's the problem we know what god wants we're to remember the deliverance and have memories of this what's the rub the rub is we have really bad memories uh, so short-term memory, I think all of us, again, it's not. Uh, it's easy to get on board with this. Some of you, I'm sorry, you'll introduce yourselves. I have the name, and the next week, the name is not there. You say some of you can identify with that. I don't know why. Sometimes I can remember all the baseball statistics, but my dear wife asked me to uh, you know, remember my lunch, and that is not going to happen. So I just have a very faulty memory, really, just uh, the way there's only so much space up here that we're forgetful people in the short term. And then, of course, there's long-term memory. A lot of studies on long-term memory that we think we you know, can remember events uh, with great precision, and then uh, those who actually have good data say, no, you've not remembered the actual events, you remembered the way you wanted them to go, and how you've recast that in your, your own narrative. In other words, human memory is actually very dodgy. Uh, it's a mark of the flaw. Uh, mar, sorry, mark of the, the, the fall, yes, that we, we don't have good recollection. And, and to press this a bit further and more delicately, the, the real issue with not remembering those whom we should remember is, is because we're selfish people who are easily distracted. To pause and remember the people in my life who've done so much for me, to pause and remember what God has done for me would actually require me to stop thinking about myself and my own affairs. And so all this, I think, here's the tension. God says, I've called the people to myself. I've delivered you. Remember who you are. But our memories, both unwillingly as a result of the fall and willingly also a result of our fall, but deliberately, we don't remember. So what do we do with this? And I'll just try to make a few roads in and what it would mean for a church like ours. So firstly, notice that when these uh, really three festivals in chapters 12 and 13 are kind of mushed together in the Jewish calendar, you've got the Passover, the commemoration of the 10th judgment. You have then the feast of unleavened bread, which is a week-long observance after that, and then you have something called the consecration of the firstborn. So you have three commemorations God's uh, asked for that in the Jewish calendar have kind of all become one. But what I want us to see firstly is notice that this day of memorial, the day to remember, is presented as a gift. When God talks about these things, he presents them not as, you, you do this because I like to push you around, which is how a lot of people view God's law when you think about it. They say there's a God up there, he just likes to push his creatures around, he makes us do all these onerous things, and here we are, you know, his little minions uh, going about, uh, you know, wh- whatever he pushes us around. And say, no, may it never be. That God's law, and here uh, this command to observe is given as a gift, right? This will be a memorial day for you. And I hope that we see that something like the Passover is always presented as a gift to God's people. It's something that will mark them as the people of God, not an onerous task, and as it is with any what we'd call means of grace. So you could say, well, I can't believe I have to pray, God commanding me to do this. Or you could say, well, wait a second, God and his kindness has given us the gift of prayer so that we can communicate with our maker through the Lord Jesus and have great serenity in that and as David said, to actually rely on God in our daily affairs. Can you see the difference? That the keeping of festivals is not because God enjoys making laws, but rather that these are gifts to us to remind us who we are. And look at the language like in 13.5 that it's going to be a sign. Or how about in a passage we didn't read today, thirteen sixteen, right? That the observance of these festivals is going to be a mark on the people. Can you see that, a mark and a sign? It's to almost be uh, impressed upon the people of God. And I think that's so significant, to remember who we are. So many of us are like Shakespeare's Lear these days, right? Can somebody tell me who I am? Yes, I can. You're the people of God. You've been bought back by him. You've been delivered. That's who you are. And don't you forget it. And there were to then, which makes perfect sense, teach this to our children, to pass it down. Who am I in this crazy and confusing and lopsided world? I'll tell you who you are. You're in the family of God, that he's bought back a people. We live differently. We think Jesus is king. That we rely on God to deliver us. That's who you are. Can you see why that might be a gift in today's age? You Can go out and figure it out yourself? Take your chances? Or rather to see God invites us to a place where we can know him and that we can live that out. You notice too this is where i just have to add this because i find over and over again you find things in the bible that are so profound um i'm asking mallory about this about memory she was a school teacher a number of years uh, in north royalton and i said did you ever talk to the kids you must have about about memory and she said yeah and you know she said the really good teachers you know are taught to do teach uh visually uh in the auditory sense and then the kinetic sense Right? You've got to hit all three for the different learning styles, visual, auditory, and kinetic. And I glanced down at 13.9. And so these festivals shall be to you a sign on you as a people, a sign on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Hand, eyes, mouth. In the stuff that I do with my hands, I honor and remember the Lord. With the way that I see the world, I'm to do that through the lens of what God has done for me and how I speak, which of course is ultimately about the ear. Do I use my speech and my hearing unto the Lord to remember who I am? And you see, ultimately, I, I just have this a bit further, why this is a gift. What happens? The question is, what happens when God's people don't remember who they are? Say so we fall back into sin, bondage, and insecurity. That I forget that I'm a child of God, that I can rest in him. And what's the the default position is I'm going to do life on my own. I'm going to fall into the comparison game. I'm going to try to compete against everybody. My anxiety is going to go up that I'm ultimately going to find myself enslaved. So God, again, doesn't command his people to remember because he likes the accrual of laws. What he says is I'm giving you this as a gift so you remember who you are. Now, next uh, bold heading here. God's Passover instructions, the instructions here, have a purpose towards memory. Now, last week, I know I'm skipping a lot in these verses, but you remember last week when we read and the Passover instructions were given, some of us would say, That's very odd. Uh, Why would God ask the people to uh, pay attention to these details? God cares about the details because in those, too, are a gift to the people so that we can know who, who we are. I would call these, again, to use the modern term, these are mnemonic devices, that the Passover is loaded with little aids to help the people of God uh, know who they are. So take a look, 12 and verse 5, the instruction that the lamb that was to be sacrificed was to be without blemish very easy say okay I'm going to find a lamb that's flawed you know maybe it's got some kind of imperfection that it's not completely healthy Uh, maybe it's the kind that uh, might not have very good meat on it Uh, God says no you're going to get the costly lamb to remind you of the costliness the costliness of our salvation what God did for his people so a lamb without blemish notice 12 in verse 8 that the lamb you say again looking at this the lamb had to be roasted rather than eaten raw or boiled you say what god really i mean we're to you know you're doing and, and you've got very specific cooking instructions as to how we're to do this yes why because the pagans believe it or not did eat raw lamb and if you boiled the lamb it would require that it had to be chopped up whereas if it's roasted you could roast the whole lamb. And so God says the lambs to be roasted, so you're different from the non-believing world in how you eat your meat and that that lamb was to be intact for reasons we'll see in a moment. How about again 12:8, what kind of seasoning? Well, bitter herbs. Well, can't can't we use the good seasoning? No, the bitter herbs to recall the hardship that the people of God experienced in Egypt. 12-8, unleavened bread, that you weren't to put any yeast, no leaven in the bread. Why? Because they had to make a quick exit. You can't be waiting for the bread to rise. And so you pause here. You think, how smart God is. These are really good teaching devices. Can you imagine little Samuel coming up some centuries ago? And, you know, Dad, this bread's nasty. Uh, Why can't we have the nice moist loaves that we normally have that rise that actually taste good and now we've got this you know this lousy cracker my son god's given us this to remind us how he delivered us from our enemy and we're to think about what god has done and how god's timing is perfect and we should be less mindful on physical things and more on spiritual things or how about you know here comes miriam mom mom i i can't stand the flavor of this lamb why couldn't we use the other spice oh my daughter say life's very hard without god you'll find yourself in bondage to yourself and in bondage to other things but that's not who you are my dear girl that you're in the people of god god's bought you back and we should always remember what it's like without God. It's very bitter indeed. And that's what we're remembering today. Can you see that? God giving us mnemonic devices to help our frail minds remember who He is. Couple more things, 12 and verse 3 and verse 6. And this is profound. You could give a whole message on this. But there's a pivot actually in 123, where we tell-you know we learn here to tell the whole congregation of Israel. Get the same word in 12.6. When the whole assembly of the congregation is together, right? That this festival of the Passover is to be celebrated by the congregation. This is a new word. First appearance in the Hebrew Bible from this point forward. You get it a ton between uh, Exodus and through the book of Joshua. Prior to this time, you get a lot of Israel. You get a lot of the Hebrews. But here you have the community of God. And you say, that's exactly what God's doing. Here we are, we've lost our way, we're kind of among the world, we think God has forgotten us, and God pulls his people out of bondage and establishes them and say, this is the congregation, all of you, not one is lost, you do it together. And I think in that vein also is why the lamb had to be completely consumed. So you would not want to chunk off one piece and say, well, that piece, you know, can just be kind of thrown away. No, all of it had to be consumed, either ingested or burned. Why? Because God is calling all of his people, all of the elect, to be his and to represent him in oneness. Now, all this, I think, is a huge lesson for a church like ours. American evangelicalism has gone uh, too long by viewing itself as a kind of university lecture. You come in here, you get the deposit of information in about 25 minutes from me, and then you go about your week and that's it. Say all along, and I think we're going to have to be thinking more and more about this given the trajectory of things, but really doing life together to really being one people of God in an embodied way doing things, reminding, teaching our children, being very deliberate about that, remembering, actually remembering who God is in the busyness of affairs and taking more attention to being embodied. Say a small sample of that, you think, this week. Loved having Emmanuel and Lincoln here today. Emmanuel and Lincoln, later this week, are gonna be very far from us. But what a treat to say here are embodied men in the bought-back people of God who are ministering and for all those who are in Christ that we will feast together with the Lord in Zion in an embodied way doing life together thinking about who we are that we are the people of God so two moves so far today God wants his people to remember their salvation remember who we are he's given us in his kindness means of grace to remember that and to do life together in a real way as brothers and sisters now finally here if Passover is so important, why don't we celebrate it? <laughs> so, I've been going on about it now at some length. Where is it? Say so the answer to that, that we can't miss, is that the Lord Jesus fulfills the Passover. All four gospel writers say God could have picked any day for his son to be crucified, right? Say so any day of the year, he could have picked his son to be crucified. Jesus is crucified on what day? The Passover. All four gospel writers, the Lord's Supper is the Passover meal. John's gospel, you know, makes point of mentioning that on the cross, none of Jesus' bones were broken, which coordinates with Exodus chapter 12, that none of the lamb's bones were to be broken. 1 Corinthians 5, we looked at last week, Christ is our Passover lamb. And you see how scripture is one story, the blood of the lamb, right? Jesus fulfilling the Passover. And now this is lost on the modern ear that this is where we've been spoiled by reading this too many times for centuries these jewish men knew what passover right was about and how it was to be celebrated and there they are the night before jesus is betrayed and jesus says you know this is really about me (laughs) It would be like me standing up in about six weeks' times on Christmas Eve to say, you know, I think you all probably think that this day is about Jesus coming in the manger, but I got something to tell you. It's really about me, and I'm fulfilling Christmas Eve. You'd say, yeah, this guy's got a, you know, we got a place for him. Um, But that's exactly what Jesus does, that God in his perfect orchestration, Bible is one story, justice of God, the mercy of God, people of God resting under the blood of the lamb God providing the Passover lamb and Jesus saying you know I you the people of God now can can rest in me that you don't celebrate that Passover but actually there's something you do now and it's the sign of the Lord's Supper you see the Lord's Supper is exactly the fulfillment of Exodus 12, right? It's a sign for you. The word sacrament that you've heard, you say, is this Roman Catholic? You say sacraments, the Latin word for a sign. It's a sign to God's people and his kindness say, oh yes, this is who I am. Jesus did die to reconcile me as I trust him as Lord and Savior. I'm inwardly renewed and spiritually renewed in that, that truth and I go out into the crazy world and all the busyness and I'm, I'm going to lose my way and I'm going to forget and I'm going to do life on my own and I'm going to be insecure and then I remember, oh yeah, that's that's who I am. And if you're in Jesus, if you've surrendered to Jesus, that's who you are, that you're secure in him. You're not playing the world's games, not competing against anybody. You're not scrambling to find your way, but actually you're in the people of God. And he's given us one another in the same way, the congregation, right? The community of God. We take this together that we lean on one another. And so, in a moment, what we're going to do, hopefully on the way in, you grab the communion, is that we're going to do just as God in his kindness has done, right? He says, Do this in remembrance of me, so you remember who you are, so you live out your charge. Friends, key point today remember who you are. We must remember what God has done for us in Jesus, not at a one-off event like Christmas, but throughout the year, through days and weeks and seasons, every Sunday we're in church with the family of God, not in a formulaic way, but in God's kindness to have rhythms, to do life together, to teach it to our children. This is who you are. This is a priority. This is how we live. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. And we delight in that and we rest in that. May we recollect our salvation in Christ. Amen. So on that night that Jesus is betrayed, on that Passover meal, he does give the people of God a gift to remember the Lord's Supper. Now, if you're not a Christian, you've never surrendered to Jesus, you're not there yet, I would ask that you you would not take the Lord's Supper because uh, what it stands for and what it's doing is... Uh, Something you've not put your, your trust in, so we ask that you would not take it. But for those of us who are Christians, we think back this week in our own frailty and disobedience, the things that I've said that I wish I could take back, maybe the things that I've consumed that I wish I didn't consume, the places I went that I wish I hadn't have gone, the things I watched with my eyes that I didn't, that I know didn't represent Jesus, the thoughts in my head that I know didn't represent my kin as I should. We're going to take a moment. First John 1, 9, confessing our sins is for Christians. So if you would, in the quiet of your hearts, think back of your week. Think of who God is, what he's done for us. We confess before him now. Thank the Lord that He doesn't leave us there, but that we have an assurance of pardon. And so, if you would, if you'd open the top tab of the communion. On that Passover night, the night that He was betrayed. Jesus took bread, and when we give him thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church family, the body of Christ, which is for you, reminding us who we are. We take the bread together. you would peel back the second tab we've been talking the last couple weeks about the blood of the lamb the blood of the lamb that gives deliverance for the people of God that it establishes us as that covenant community and cleanses us so that we can have confidence before our maker so in the same way Jesus took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church family, there is one cup together. We take it, proclaiming who the Lord is. Father, we thank you for giving us in each of our hands your word that is not a bunch of chopped up randomly assembled stories but in a real way these last couple weeks to see you've been writing one story that you've called the people out of darkness and bondage to yourself that you are our God and we are your people Lord we forget you far too often and this week Lord I pray that as we're tempted to be more mindful of worldly affairs than you, that you would bring us back to who we are in you, that we would remember our great salvation. We thank you today in your supper that you've renewed us inwardly and spiritually, that we would live differently by acknowledging you as king and how we conduct our affairs, that we would say, oh, we represent you as the way you'd want us to represent you. So Lord, to that end, bind us together as a church family. Help us to live out our calling. Maybe we be be mindful of, of your work, who you are and who we are. We thank you for the provision of the Lord Jesus, our Passover lamb. In his name we pray.